0: side of the red line, Dallas Stars Podcast. Here is your host, Sean Shapiro.
1: Well, uh, welcome back, Ryan.
0: Thanks, Sean. It's good to be back. My The angst in my voice doesn't have to do with you. It just has to do with this TV. I don't understand why technology needs to be this complicated. But anyway.
1: Anyway, Ryan's back. I told people he would be back. You weren't replaced, I promise. Um, just a uh, Occasional fill-in to make sure things uh, keep going smoothly while uh, you continue to save the world one spine at a time or whatever you're doing now.
0: So. Pretending to. I like the car test so that was a good idea. That's nice.
1: Yeah. It came out pretty well. I was happy with that. It's uh, already... We're already discussing... Owen Newkirk and I are already discussing the game on the way home from the rink either way, so why not uh, just clean it up a bit and record it? So it worked out pretty well.
0: Yeah, something... A post-post-game show. It's like uh, the late, late show, but for podcasts.
1: Yes. Well, this week, um, I guess we'll just jump right in today, just starting with kind of a bit of the news of the day. Um, Stars lose last night in Colorado. They lose 5-3 uh, to three to the Avalanche, which is not an easy place to go. Um, granted, the Avalanche had been very bad in the past, so it, the record might not indicate it, but Colorado actually should be a tough place to play a road game in theory based on the altitude and uh, and uh, going in there uh, on a one-off I think um, you were pointing I know you lived there for what about a year, six months a year uh, in Denver didn't you it or was right around just
0: there? I lived in Colorado Springs for just over a year and um Colorado Springs if I remember correctly is um a little higher than Denver I think elevation in the springs is like 6,500 i could also be making that up um, but it, i mean regardless it's about the same and um it just kind of i i don't want to say it depends because it doesn't depend um it that, well it depends on what kind of physical activity you're doing my parents live in denver now so when i went home between our semesters i went and i just ran i just treadmill ran uh low intensity late weight and it was fine but i mean that's not playing hockey intensely for any period of time whatsoever And the when I first moved out to the springs it was after and that's why I say it kind of depends because when I moved out there and the first time I worked out there I was not nearly in the physical condition that these guys are in but um I almost passed out the first time I worked out in the Springs. so yes it can be if you're not prepared for it it can be Pretty devastating on your system, and there's ways you can train for it. Um, but if you're in the NHL, you're not too worried about doing low oxygen training or oxygen deprivation training for a place that you're going to play maybe three times a year. So it's you know, it is what it is, I guess.
1: Yeah, o- overall, it was a weird game in general, and I don't want to put too much blame on the altitude because the stars in general. Um, the altitude doesn't take away the fact that uh, Simeon uh, Varlarmov played very well, doesn't take away the fact that uh, inch here, inch there, Tyler Sagan has two extra goals in that game. He hits the bar and um, in, in the third period, um, another opportunity that was real close. So it, that doesn't, I don't want to use it as an excuse, but I just kind of wanted to start that as the narrative as it was a weird game. Um, and... It was a weird game that came with, and also on top of that, the Stars are playing with five defensemen there, since Stephen Johns, and we'll talk about that. We'll get to that in a minute, but since Stephen Johns left the game with an injury, um, it was a weird game that came with a bit of a even weirder after effects because we had after the game, and uh, it seems that it's somewhat resolved, but I feel like we should talk about it a little bit. After the game, Ben Bishop is not very happy with the decision that he got pulled. Um, Bishop was... I don't think you could say he was bad, but he looked average uh, last night. He made a couple of mistakes on the one goal where he lost the puck behind the net. There's a mistake there. Um, The third goal that he allowed is not his fault because Julius Honka can't turn the puck over like that, but he does look like he's swimming in the crease. And on the first goal, I actually had no problem with the first goal because I think nine times out of 10, that poke check pays off. It's just, just an unlucky bounce. The weird thing about it, was if he had gotten pulled right after the third goal I don't think we would have thought much about it but Ken Hitchcock waits about 3 minutes till the media timeout to pull him and put Carlyletten in and then he actually never really explained it to the goaltender till after till after the game and by the time Ken Hitchcock by the time Ben Bishop meets with the media he's not happy he's pissed off he says I don't know why I came out I didn't understand that um and uh and he never he never got a justifiable um, he never got a justifiable reason for it during the game or before he had a chance to meet with the media Ken Hitchcock later said he did it to spark the team and boost the team and everything like that and it didn't matter who was in goal it needed to be done but I look at this as I actually agree with both with both parties involved on this I understand Bishop being pissed off I also understand what Hitchcock did it just this is a big lack of communication that it just it, it, I, I'm speaking out of both sides of my mouth because as a, as, as a writer and covering the team, it, it gives, gave us more to write about out of a, out of a crappy game, but it still, as a team, it's something where as a coaching staff, you'd like to have that kind of, you'd like to have him in the loop before it gets to 15 minutes after the game. And he's talking to reporters.
0: No. Yeah. It's a, this is one of those things that if you look at, I mean, right now um, it's not a big deal because it's, you know, it's the fifth game of the year, sixth game of the year, or whatever that was, seventh. I don't even know what game of the year. I don't. Eighth, eighth. Eighth game. Oh, anyway. It's up to the eighth game of the year, but that's something that if, you know, things are still kind of treading near 500 for Dallas in February and you do something like that, that's the kind of thing that can lose your team right there just by doing some dumb stuff like that. Like, there's no reason to, one, let your goalie play another three minutes before pulling him because that's, like, I, I can understand if you're going to, wait until an intermission to pull your goalie so you don't have him coming off the ice in the middle of a game in front of the whole world to see that's fine but to do it after immediate timeout that's just I I don't understand that whatsoever and then to not tell him why he pulled him either is just kind of like total high school girl something drama like why are you mad at me I'm not going to tell you I'm going to sit here and let you figure it out like you know what I mean? Well, I don't understand it. What I don't understand that at all.
1: And, and both of them, to both Hitchcock and Bishop, said today that it's water under the bridge. Bishop's obviously starting against Edmonton tomorrow night, and it's in the past. But it's it's still something where I just look at it. Where it's you need to. It's not even. I kept I kept using the word as if it, it's a two minute conversation. It doesn't even have to be a two minute conversation. It could have just been a thirty second conversation where. It could have been right after Bishop was pulled. He could have walked over to him and said, "Hey Ben, this isn't on you. This is because I need to light a spark." Could have done that during the mission. It could have been a 15-second conversation that would have saved. That could have saved a lot of grief. And then if Bishop goes, and then Bishop can still talk to the media and be upset about getting, coming out of the game, but at least there's not the there's not the air of. He doesn't understand why or what the or what the thought process was, what the process was that, that got him out of the game. No, because then I'm you
0: afraid? just say, you know, you're sitting there and you say, you know, Coach said he needed a spark and I disagree with his decision to pull me, but I certainly understand where he's coming from. And then that's that and no one thinks twice about it. It's just unnecessary drama right now that was created for whatever reason. Because you're right, it's not even like, you, you don't even have to go out of your way to do that. You walk 15 feet down the bench and say, hey, Ben, you know, if, not on you. Or we just needed a spark, and or we needed to do something to light the fire in the team. That's and, all, that's all it takes. And, You're not going out of your way at all.
1: And we still and we still got your back. You're back in there Thursday. Don't worry. And that's the end of it. <laughs> that's yeah. the end of it. Um, so it just, it's just kind of odd. Um, it's one of those things where if um, if the stars go and win the next two games, it's something where we look at this and say, Hey, that was a weird game, and they just. It was it was a weird game, and don't worry. But if they lose the next two games, say they lose, in, say they lose against Edmonton and Calgary, or have a sub 500 road trip here, you start to question how how well they can they deal with adversity, and then you start to look back at this game. So what happens over the next three four games, either magnifies or diminishes the light on this on this Colorado game and in the instance with the goalie. Um, the other thing coming out of this game. Uh, Was the fact that we will see at least one defensive change Thursday against Edmonton. And Ken Hitchcock used the words upper body injury after the game, Um, but I believe it's concussion symptoms. Stars PR gave a report that it was concussion like symptoms during the game for Stephen Johns, who in the first period was hit high by Matt Duchesne and his head hit the glass and, and then he didn't return to the game. Johns comes out. And we're looking at an opportunity, and I, we're looking at an opportunity. It goes perfect timing with the story I wrote today, uh, wrote last night that published late last night and was up today. We may see now Greg Pattern making his season debut for the stars, either probably Thursday or Friday, depending on which. And Jamie Alexiak could be back in as well, depending on whether, whether the stars want to go uh, put both of them in on Thursday, Friday, or if they want to do one one night, one the other. Either way, there's going to be a bit of some juggling on defense. And um, to start with Patteron, it's going to be interesting to see how he looks because it's we've talked about him in the past, how Greg Patteron would have been the perfect seventh. And this was the opportunity why he would be the perfect seventh, because he could step in and he could play the same game whether he had been sitting for 10, 10 games or playing for 10 games. And he's done the same thing in practice the entire time. I talked to him this week. He's been very professional. This is a opportunity for pattern to prove that and show that you know what. Their faith in me, I, I, I can I I restore I, I fulfilled their faith in me and I'm and there's a reason they waived Patrick Nemeth and, and not me.
0: Yeah, I mean it's kind of what we've been talking about since this whole defense thing. continued. I mean it's really what we've been talking about all summer that. This is the guy you want in there as the extra guy because he's the guy who can come in on a moment's notice and play if you have an injury or you feel like you need a lineup change, which apparently is both in this case. So it, it'll be, I, I, I feel like I, I get you want to pump up your own guys, but I, I'm not a fan of when coaches just go out of their way to excessively praise guys for seemingly no reason. Like, you know, we 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 saw it with Honka at the start of camp. Clearly, that hasn't matriculated the way we thought it would. We've seen it with Alexiak, and anyone with two eyes can see that that was just blowing smoke up our ass or something. And then today, Hitch is yeah, I see it on Twitter. Hitch is like, hey, I can see Greg Pattern is the guy coming and could be the guy we don't want to take. out. Like, what? I I don't understand what his end game here is. I mean, I under, I kind of get what his end game is is you want to make your guys feel good or whatever. But it's just. You don't need to be all blowy smoky about it.
1: But that's that's what he does, though. I mean, that's just a reality of what what Hitch does. There's the, I mean, say Remyelli gets sent down to the AHL next week, just in theory, just to give an example. Say Remyelli gets sent down to the AHL, we'll look back and. Two weeks, two, two and a half weeks ago, Ken Hitchcock said something along the lines of Remy Ellie's game is ready made for the age, for the NHL, and he, he should be, uh, and he, and he's worked his way up and yada, yada, yada. And it's, he says a lot of things. And it's, I mean, it's, it's something from a media perspective. Um, when covering him, I don't, and this is something that you might have noticed as someone who's worked in sports media before, and I'm not sure if it's something, it, You might not notice it if you don't pay that much attention to the dichotomy of how a story's written, but it creates the, there was way more opportunities with Lindy last year where you could state things as fact, because if Lindy said something, he was going to do it. There's a lot more examples where we have to attribute and, and, and just to make sure to cover, make sure to cover our own asses and say Hitch said or Hitchcock said, and make sure that he's attributed because the minute he says something, and, uh, and puts it out there in, in the, in the media age we live in, it tends to contradict something else. And <laughs> I, I, basically, I'm, I'm rambling here, but basically it's something where Hitch says a lot of st- has, says a lot of crap. Um, and it, it creates a lot to write about, but it also creates it. It's, we sometimes have to do a better job of figuring out what's true and what's not just as both a media standpoint, and both as a fan standpoint, there's a lot to shift through.
0: Yeah, we went from one end of the spectrum where you had Lindy, who seemingly went out of his way to play games with you guys, by saying, I'm not telling you who my starting goalie is tonight, to Hitchcock now, who's playing games with you by just talking out of his ass, which I don't know which one you'd rather have. I'd rather have the coach who's like, screw you, I'm not telling you, because then it's like, okay, well, we can put two and two together here, but now you have your coach who's saying great things about all eight defensemen, several different places but several different places in time holy I don't know why that word was so hard for me places it's not a hard word places two syllables but it, it that would drive me insane like how do because then it's like if if your coach isn't telling you anything then it's like okay whatever that's fine now you kind of have to sift through the BS and figure out what's what and that would just annoy the hell out of me it annoys the hell out of me reading it on Twitter just it's like dude come on you don't at least treat us with a little don't insult our intelligence that badly
1: well and and there are certain things that he is that are good from a media sharing standpoint that you have for example him going into a road trip and being willing to tell us that hey um, Kari will start the back to back and then he's he's actually going to follow through with that those things I like to see it's just um, and this is just a responsibility that I guess falls with the media members covering Hitches we have to Continue to figure out and split through what he said, what he hasn't said. Um, I enjoy the fun, Mark. Um, I enjoy the fun Mark Stepnowski has had with it. Where the other day, um, I tweeted about how uh, Hitch said that he didn't like J- how they couldn't play Jamie Alexiak on the right side. It was unfair, and it just was a situation that wouldn't work. And then Mark um, basically quote tweeted me with a response. But wait, didn't two weeks ago he loved Alexiak on the right side? So. We have to have fun with it, too.
0: I guess that's true. I guess if you're going to deal with a coach who's... I guess it's kind of like, um, you know how every time Donald Trump tweets something now there's or does something now, there's always an old tweet that contradicts exactly what he just did? I guess it's kind of like that in that sense, except you don't have to dig back five years to find it. So I, I, I could see where that would be fun. It would, Just as a, as a, as someone who's not close to the team and is just trying to get information from the outside it's annoying because it's like, no, Greg Patteron's going to play one game, and then you're going to realize he doesn't bring literally anything to the lineup that Julius Honka doesn't, and they're going to be like, okay, I'd rather have the guy in there who can potentially be an exciting offensive player. You know what I mean?
1: No, and and that's that's the thing. Greg Patteron is a solid, reliable, steady baseline defender. But it's not like Greg Patterson is going to come in and quarterback your power play unit or do anything like that. And if you were to have no outside context of what other guys have done, you would think that's the type of role Hitchcock would be expecting to play after his comments today. Um, and yeah, obviously it's exactly. not going to be that. Exactly,
0: it's it's we we know we're is that's one of my I mean that's another pet peeve I have with sports people in general is they think that by and large, the general public is stupid and can't read between the lines, which, I mean, there are some people out there, it's true, but for the most part, it's not that hard to pick up on. So don't... just You don't have to do this.
1: Let's move on from that subject now to uh, one thing that's just kind of a frustration for this team um, and we just haven't seen, other than the fourth line which has uh, which has played well, this team has no depth scoring right now. And you have Jamie Ben and Tyler Sagan who are getting points, and um, they put Brett Ritchie on that line the other night, and Brett Ritchie got his first goal of the season playing on that line, but um, that obviously came at the expense of putting Radulov with the Yanmark line. How do you fix depth scoring? That's I mean, that's a big question for this team, and frankly... I don't know if there's a good answer right now.
0: No, there really isn't a good answer. And I mean, it goes back to what we kind of talked about before the Radulov signing was official this summer, that this is a pretty scary, thin lineup in terms of proven scores. There's, There's certainly potential within this lineup for there to be guys who produce secondary scoring for you. But it, it's kind of like what we talked about on the season the last time I was on the podcast. That is a fifty point season from Brett Ritchie and Matthias Janmark. The difference between Dallas being a wild card team and a team that contends for top spot in the Central, and it really is, and, and it's kind of come to fruition this year. Um, my favorite thing on Twitter recently has been David Castillo just uh, tracking the number of goals scored by wingers on Dallas this season, other than Jamie Benn, and it's like three and two of them are from the one game Tyler Pitlick had. Is it three or is it four? I don't, it might've been three before the Richie goal.
1: Um, let's see. Are we, is, are we counting Radulov's goal too?
0: Oh, uh, I guess that, so it would be five then. Cause Jan Mark has one. Richie has one. Radulov has one. Pitlick has two.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, but yeah, it's, and maybe, I think it's still a little too early in the season to be, I, I, it, let me rephrase that. It's not too early in the season to be concerned about it because I was concerned about it heading out of camp. But I think it's a little too early in the season to hit a panic button about it yet. Because if you look at a guy like Yanmark, like who had 32 points as a rookie or something like that, it's something in that neighborhood. But he also just missed an entire season. So it's going to take some time for him. So I mean, I mean, one, he's not a wholly experienced guy. But then two, it's going to take some time for him to get his game legs back under him. So, I mean, it's a situation where maybe come mid-December, he's starting to click on all cylinders. Um, you know, Brett Ritchie's still kind of a young guy. Uh, you have some other guy, young guys in the lineup, but I, I mean, there's been encouraging signs, but there comes a certain point where you need to start seeing production from it. It's like, it's kind of like, um, Montreal right now is a top five Corsi team in the league and they can't score. It, it's one of those things that, Eventually, probability says that that's going to change because you can't just go define the law of averages forever. But it's one of those things that, while it's happening, it's still kind of concerning. You know what I'm saying? It's, It's something that I think there's been good performances in terms of the way that the guys are playing. It just hasn't really converted into goals yet. And I think well, that over time it could, but there's also, if it, it it gets to a situation where if it doesn't, then it's going to start, It's going to the alarm bells will start sounding.
1: Well, like, for example, I'd say, and Devin Shore, you can't, it's hard to pick Devin Shore's game apart because I think Devin Shore's actually been very good this season. He's he's found a nice role on the top power play unit as a passer um, and everything like that, but you need Devin Shore to score a goal or two. I mean, you need him to put the puck in the net. You need... Um, Obviously, you need Jason, Jason Spezza is making seven and a half million dollars this year. You need Jason Spezza with whatever role he is playing, you need him to somehow find a way to find some offense in his game. And that's, uh, I mean, because Jason Spezza, we've talked about Jason Spezza's role defensively before. If Jason Spezza can't produce offensively, Jason Spezza isn't isn't, effect, isn't an effective hockey player anymore. Um, yeah, to, can that, we?
0: I think, as is, is concerning as it is about the wingers on this team, I feel like we kind of need to start with Jason Spezza. Because well, Jason
1: it, Spezza kind of falls into that conversation now because they put Yanmark at center to make him t- <laughs> right. But that's if we're if we're yeah.
0: ta- we're talking about these young guys who need to to step up and they haven't necessarily stepped up before. You need your what's he now their second highest paid player in terms of average annual salary. You need uh, your, your second you best know. player to step up and make some plays. He doesn't need to be a guy who comes out and puts up sixty five points because that's not the player he is anymore but you need more than 3 assists in 9 games from him you need more than a goal and 3 assists in 9 games from Alex Radulov so i mean it's mm-hmm. and I, I mean maybe you you know it was kind of a foregone conclusion that radulov was going to play on that top line which i you know maybe it just ends up being that way but i almost feel like for a little bit it would almost be more beneficial to have a guy like Brett Ritchie on that top line so that way maybe he almost gets going just by association by being around Ben and Sagan who have been just Otherworldly for the first nine games of the season. And then maybe having Rajulov on another line where he kind of has to be the guy on that line to carry the pace of play get some other guys going. So maybe, maybe in the short term, that would be a smarter play to have Rajulov on the second line and then put a guy like Brett Ritchie on the, up on the top line against, or uh, next to Ben and Sagan.
1: Yeah, the key for me is I, I think Radulov. Actually, I think we do have to give Radulov some credit for Ben and Sagan's success. Not all of it, obviously, but I think there are some moments where um, you've noticed just the way they can cycle the puck and the way that line can control the puck with Radulov. Um, obviously, they can't control the puck as well with Ritchie. There's still a dangerous line with Brett Ritchie. Those two players are dangerous. Are dangerous with anyone, but you do have to give Radulov some credit. But no, you're right. I think Radulov um, to put Ritchie on that line isn't a bad idea. Um, the key is just figuring out. I mean, basically, the stars need to figure out how to make a middle six that works. Because um, while I don't like calling them a fourth line based off their role, and I think the fourth line, um, what we think of a fourth line is kind of antiquated, and, and it doesn't exist in today's game. But the fact the Fox line is the fourth line by playing time and how th- and how things are going to shake out. Um, you need to find a middle, somehow find a middle way to get your middle six going. Um, and right now, I don't, I don't like the, uh, you, you talk the entire season about building speed and everything like that. That's, that's where this game's going. This is, the game is faster than it's ever been played before. Yada, 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 yada. If that's the case, Jason Spezza and Martin Hansel can't be on a line with Remy Ellie Because Remy Ellie is, well, Remy Eli brings a speed element to the game. Jason, Jason Spezza and Martin Hansel are very, I'll use the word plotting. That's what they, where they are kind of in their point in this in, in their careers. Spezza isn't fast. Hansel was never fast, but Hansel wasn't there for his speed. But they don't that that group. You can't have your you can't have two slower players and then Elli, who still has a lot to learn about the NHL level, who probably isn't going to create anything with his speed and his skill combined. It just that grouping. I just don't see. I don't see how that grouping works long term.
0: You know who we should really be concerned about right now? Martin Hansel. Dallas is fourth in the league with a 54% Corsi 4 percentage. Through nine games or seven games, I don't remember which one it is. Martin, maybe it's eight games. No, it was nine games. It was nine games. Nine, it's like nine games nine, now. Nine. He has one goal. He's minus seven. And he is dead ass last on this team with a 44.9% Corsi 4 percentage. That's two percentage points lower than anyone else. He is an anchor right now.
1: And that's uh,
0: and that's that's not good.
1: Okay, the the one caveat we have to apply, and I don't know if you have that number in front of you. Do you have his zone starts in front of you?
0: Fair, touche. Like, sixty-eight percent, sixty-eight percent defensive zone start time, which is it's yeah. going to kill you. But still, yeah. that's it's, those it, are not good numbers for a guy that you just brought into, kind of be a. Secondary scoring no, options so, for
1: you. So I, I I agree. It needs to be better. I agree. It needs to be better. But to call him an anchor, I don't think that's fair right now because I think his usage is turning. That's him true. Into an anchor.
0: That's true. I, I I take back the anchor part. But still, that's remarkably concerning for almost for being more than ten percent of the way through the season.
1: Yes, you'd like to see more, but I think we need to. You'd like to see more from him. I agree, but I'm just. I am going to play devil's advocate and just look at the how he's being used. The same thing goes for I mean I mean I think I believe okay, Devin sure I believe Devin Shore I believe Devin Shore has a poor Corsi as well, right?
0: Yeah, and he he's one of three guys on the team with a Coursey below fifty. He's also in this he's also sixty percent defensive zone start time. Meanwhile Tyler Pitlick is sixty six point seven percent defensive zone start time, but he's at fifty two percent. So I mean well Tyler eh, Pitlick's well, the best
1: stories this season.
0: And I think – I feel like if – you, you and Owen talked about it last week that it, mm. the the thing with him was always healthy. He looks healthy right now. That was mm. – that's going to be – if he, as long as he stays healthy, that's going to end up being – looking like a fantastically smart signing.
1: Mm-hmm. Very much so. Um, so we talk about ways to fix this step scoring. And one thing that I want to bring up, and I know other people have pushed for it before, but it's starting to get to the point where – and I wanted to be patient on it, but – if you go through this weekend and you still don't have answers, at what point do you consider switching Jason Dickinson for Remy Ellie?
0: About two weeks ago. Okay. I I like I think Remy Ellie is another one of those guys like Jamal Smith who's a great story. I just don't think... I think he's Antoine roussel White, And Antoine Roussel already only brings a finite amount of offense to the table. Remy Ellie is even less than that. Jason Dickinson is a guy who has... Scoring talent, obviously. He was a former first round pick. And he's, I, I, I will go, I will stop short of saying he is absolutely tearing up the AHL right now, but he is more than acquitting himself in the AHL to start the season. So, I mean, he's a guy that I would have had on this team to start the season because just because of the, it, it'd be one thing if we were looking at, you know, he's a guy who, who's going to be a bottom six guy on a team that has a very clearly defined top six. But we're, we're we're talking about a team right now that has a first line and then twelve guys who they're just kind of throwing out there and they're throwing shit against the wall and seeing what sticks. And there's if if that was your strategy to start the season, there's no reason that Jason Dickinson should not have been one of those twelve guys because he's significantly more talented than probably half the guys that they're trotting out there right now in that bottom twelve. If we're excluding Radulov, bottom, Ben, bottom and bottom Sagan, bottom nine. Bottom nine. That's Jesus Christ. I can't do math. Bottom nine. That's bottom nine he is significantly more talented he's then at least half those guys that they're trotting out in that bottom nine
1: hold on i'm gonna do this math let's see
0: offensively is... speaking who would you put right now over jason dickinson among those guys not martin hansel probably not radic foxa tyler pitlick maybe just because no, i'm not of, putting
1: but... tyler i'm not no, i'm no i'm 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 thinking about this i'm not um Brett Ritchie gets a slight edge, but that's also that's they're fair. two. That's but fair. they're two. But they're but they're two different types of players. Brett Ritchie is a, Brett Ritchie is a sniper. Brett Ritchie is a player who you need to is a more typical and it's it's a basketball term, but it's a term we use in hockey. Brett Ritchie's a power forward. Jason Dickinson's a bit more of a playmaker. Um, so they're two different type of players. Um, for talking,
0: I mean. Just based he on could, history, he, I would throw Spezza in there, too.
1: Yeah, but my argument my argument then becomes... My argument becomes, and this is something where we live in a world where contracts and past history means more than it should, um, but that's just a reality of life, that Jason Dickinson could easily do everything Jason Spezza's done this season. Um, could easily. easily. do oh, easily, he, easily. And so... Um, personally, I was kind of on the fence over the over the and I admit it over the past five six games I was on the fence on whether it was time to bring Dickinson up and that wasn't based on his play that was just based on I thought Ellie actually had, had done a nice job. I thought Ellie could play a nice role um, on a line with Hansel if he's play, if Hansel's playing with a faster player on, on more of a speed line, but with the role that Ellie's playing in now, um, I'd rather see Jason Dickinson there and he's a, uh, and he's, and he's been great down in the AHL. He's been, he's been taking over games. He's been, um, and I, th- I think a lot of one thing that people, if you haven't watched a lot of Jason Dickinson's game, one of my, one of my favorite parts about Jake Jason Dickinson's game is his game starts from his own defensive end. He is an extremely good penalty killer. He does. And the stars have been good on the penalty kill. So it's not like they need to add another penalty killer, but just, He's extremely good penalty killer. He's got a very active stick. He reads plays well. Um, I argued, I believe, two seasons ago, I argued that if the AHL had a version of the Selke, uh, Dickinson would be one of the uh, one of the prime candidates for it. And uh, now, um, I mean, and he's ready. For, he he is a classic example of overripe, and it's it's one of those examples too where. If Jamel Smith wasn't waiver exempt, would he be up here right now? I don't know. I, I don't know the answer to that because maybe they like Jamel Smith. Maybe they want to keep Jamel Smith right now as the 14th, as the, as the 13th forward, and just kind of in that uh, that no man's land. And I mean, Jamel Smith hasn't played since opening night. That's I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of curious what the plan long term is with Jamel Smith because. He's not. yet he has to go through waivers to go to the AHL, and so is he only still up here because of the, that waiver status, or um, do they actually plan to play him anytime soon? I, it, it's it's interesting. I don't know what the long term plans with Jamel Smith, but I would put obviously, if I was making the decisions, Jason Dickinson would be in the lineup before him.
0: Right, and I'm, I, and I don't want to sit here and oh crap, that's not what I wanted to hit. I don't want to sit here and say that Jason Dickinson is going to be the savior or the glue that brings this offense to get together right now but literally the only thing missing from this dallas offense is finish and not the country finish like actual scoring finish because if you if you were going to guess right now and, and i get that i bring way more of a advanced stats point of view to this podcast and it's probably warranted but if you were to guess right now in terms of Corsi percentage where do you think Sagan and Ben rank on this team right now.
1: On this team,
0: on Dallas, yes.
1: Having not looked at it in probably, I would guess around seven or eight because they're playing a lot. They're playing way more in the defensive zone than they have in the past.
0: They're eleventh and twelfth, and both of them are fifty-five percent players. That means there are ten player. Ten math. Math is hard for me today. That 10, means 10, there man. are ten. There are ten. Son of a biscuit, what did I just do? No, okay. There's, yeah, there's, there's ten, 10 there's ten players on this Stars team that have a higher Corsi 4 percentage than Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan do. Which means the Stars are possessing the hell out of the puck. Which, if you believe that that means anything, that eventually, this, they, once they start putting the puck in the net at a, I, I'm trying to look up shooting percentage right now and I can't freaking work my iPad at the same time, so. Bear with me for a second while I continue rambling about stupid stuff that people probably don't care about. And there's not even shooting percentage on us. Anyway, the the overreaching point here is once Dallas, I'm pretty sure Dallas' team's shooting percentage is like 6% right now. Even if you get that up to 8%, that's going to translate to an extra goal like every other game. So, basically what I'm saying is, is it's too early to truly hit red alert panic on the offense, but... Because the, the process has been good. The results haven't followed. I'm using a Chris Bergeron quote because I miss covering PG hockey.
1: Well, and, and Dickinson, just to kind of tie everything up with him, Dickinson, even if he comes up, there's no... He's not a magic elixir that's going to come in and be a point-per-game player. It's not easy to score goals in the NHL. He does, however, have the skill set around the net that you need to finish around the net. He has a skill set that Remyelli doesn't have. He has a skill set that... He's a better skilled player around the net than Tyler Pitlick or even an Antoine Roussel. L. R. And I'm not saying for those guys to come out of the lineup because those guys are playing well, but just he he brings that skill set that if in the right spot he can make something happen. Now, the other interesting thought process, and I don't want to pile on Jason Spezza, but I think I'm about to just with this with this where this conversation is going. Does it reach a point where, and he's going he'd be incredibly hard to move. He makes $7.5 million. He makes $7.5 million a year. He's not producing, but eventually you get to a point, and this may be just me playing armchair GM, and I may be completely off base, but eventually you get to a point where you start and look at, okay, I know there's a couple teams that need center depth. I know there's teams that need help at center. Some other GM is going to look at Jason Spezza's past history and say, "Well, look at his time on ice in Dallas. That's why he's struggling, and I can and he can be the old Jason Spezza when he comes here." You start to wonder how soon that becomes a reality for Jim Neal to look for a move like that, because there's not. Uh, I mean, we just kind of covered it. If you're going to pay him seven point five million dollars for what you're getting, it's it's not worth it, and. Maybe Columbus. I was playing around with this the other day in a. In a, in a uh, maybe Columbus. Say Columbus needs. Because I know Columbus is a team that needs depth at center. Say Columbus is looking to improve their depth down the middle, and the Stars could either get something or maybe even go pie in the sky, and the Stars could improve their depth score and a trade for Cam Atkinson. I don't know how you would actually make that deal work. The Stars would probably have to put a prospect in to make it work, and obviously. But eventually, you get to a point where you have to start looking at and figuring out is Jason Spezza's long-term, and by long-term I mean next season, future here, and how soon do you pull the plug on that?
0: I wish I had an answer to that question because I feel like if I was another GM, I would not touch Jason Spetzer right now with a 10-foot pole just because there's no reason to because of the money. I mean, you're you're already looking at one that if I'm another GM and Jim Noe comes to me and says, hey, any interest in Jason Spetzer if I'm a GM and for whatever reason have any interest in adding a setter like jason spezza my initial thing is saying you're taking you're keeping half of his salary for this season and for next season otherwise it's a non-starter for me if i'm an opposing gm so i mean that's already a logistical nightmare for dallas in regards to that because they're close to the cap not like close to the well i mean they are like right up against the cap but then it becomes the point where you're paying a guy almost four million dollars against your cap to not play for you next year which is for a team that has, I'm assuming is going to once again have Stanley Cup aspirations next year is not a good thing. So, I, it, it's, it's one of those things that, I mean, if there's a deal that makes sense, then you're going to do it. But I just don't know that that ever really comes about this year.
1: Yeah. Well, it, it I think it might depend on, uh, it's something I would keep an eye on with it is just what happens after, uh, no, right, that's Colum- true, because yeah. you don't
0: know – some guy get you, you know, you look at Dallas last year, and you have – say that happens to Team X that has – you know, they came into the season looking to – you know, let's say, like, Edmonton, for example. Like, this is just – this could be a terrible example. I don't know. I'm just thinking right off the top of my head. You know, they won the Pacific last year, and they sure as hell, as long as Connor McDavid's on that team, have a chance to win the Stanley Cup. But say that something terrible happens, and Connor McDavid – blocks a shot with his face and he ends up missing six months for the year and you're Peter Shirelli, and you're sitting there and you're like holy crap I'm desperate I need something then maybe that becomes a situation where Jason's Betsa comes into play because team X is desperate and needs help but I, unless and you know it's, it, it's so hard to say what happens because injuries happen teams who are supposed to be good start struggling and then their GM gets desperate because he's trying to save his job but just on the surface right now it's just to me, I just it's very tough for me to see how Jason Spezza's is not on the stars through the end of next season.
1: Well, I, I will say this. Jason Spezza's value goes up if and or when Matt Duchesne gets
0: traded. Fair.
1: Once because if Duchesne doesn't get traded, um, then it doesn't impact it at all. Then it's the same. But if Duchesne does get traded, there's going there's always the trickle down effect of teams that were in the conversation who they need to go to their plan B and maybe that's Jason Spezza or they need to they see one team made a move so they have to counteract and make another move so if Matt Duchesne is moved Jason Spezzas, Jason Spezza's value goes up I think that's I think that's a fair assessment no matter how good Jason Spezza is just because for the because he has that GM whether it's a desperate move or a move that they think they're adding a veteran for a cup run or whatever it is. They have his past history and his career point totals to go and point to their fan base and their owner and say, "Hey, look, we brought in this guy who's this type, who's this type of player, and uh, and he has this history of doing this. Doesn't mean he's done it. Doesn't mean he's done it lately, but he's he's done it. He's done it in the past. So, I mean, it goes back to uh, I was." had a conversation with somebody on Twitter the other day about uh, cause Adam Cracknell got waived yesterday by the Rangers and uh, cleared today and got sent down to Hartford somebody asked me on Twitter if uh, Adam Cracknell did he really not have that good of a season as we thought he did last year and I pointed out that well his uh, his play this season his play this season doesn't change what he did last season but Adam Cracknell is the echelon of player that lives... There's two echelons of players in the NHL. There's the players who live by the what-have-you-done-lately model, and that's the bottom six, the depth guys, like Adam Cracknell. Then there's the players who are the superstars who always have the superstars and the top six guys who have the umbrella there, have the, have the parachute there to allow them to live by, even if they have a bad year. Even if they have a bad year, there's bias for what they've done in the past. If Jamie Ben. If Jamie Ben has a bad year, like he did last year, we all we all look at it and say, "Oh, don't worry, he'll be back because he's Jamie Ben." While it, it, it's so, it's a double standard in pro sports um, that comes into my and in that will. Ugh, I can't talk right now, but basically, that double standard will boost Jason Spezza's value higher than it should based on a player. If we just took a name and uh, career history off the office hockey card and told you, would you want this player?
0: Right, for sure. All right, I found it. I. I didn't find it in terms in terms of big picture. But Dallas as a team is shooting eight point three percent. The NHL average is nine point three percent. So okay. if even if you even if you're going to assume that eventually this team is going to progress to being an average shooting team, there is significant room for growth. And I get that right now, like right now, Dallas is fourth in the league in shots on goal differential. They're eighth in the league in power play percentage, they're third in the league in penalty kill. Those things, I, I Dallas isn't going to kill penalties at 91% all year. They're probably not going to... I mean, they could feasibly sit around 20 to 23% on the power play all year just because of some of the guys that they have. But they're probably going to regress a little bit there, too. So... But they're also not going to only score 2.9 goals per game and give up, likewise, 2.9 goals per game for the rest of the season. As a team, Dallas has a team PDO under 100, which is... They're at, like, 98.5 or 6 or something like that, so... There's going to be some progression in save percentage and shooting percentage. The process is good; the results just need to follow, and they're going to follow.
1: And regression is a fact of life, too. I mean, it's 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 kind of funny. We look at special teams right now, and um, Ken Hitchcock talked about, "Oh, well, you got to be at, uh, at at 105 to you have to have the numbers at 105." Just your combined uh, your combined power play plus your combined penalty kill percentage at 105 and that's what successful teams do do you know how many teams finished with above 105 last season
0: in terms of penalty kill and power play combined percentage yeah one
1: i believe it was actually two there was there was it's like there columbus was
0: and someone else i think and that was only yeah. because columbus was at like 28 on the power play all year
1: hmm. it's not a i mean it's it's a number that's kind of so the stars are at like Going into the last week, and they were at one seventeen. Obviously, that will regress. Um, so, special teams will regress. PDO will get better, and, uh, and and it's to to put a positive spin on all of this, which I think we've done. Basically, it's still early in the season. It's still they they still they're still above five hundred. They are they're five and four. They're six and three. If Marc-Andre Fleury doesn't play incredibly on opening night, and they're still a good hockey team. Now, how do they handle the next four road games? That's a big test. We'll see what it looks like. Now, let's talk about some other hockey things, Ryan, because I wanted to dive into this real quick with you, since you and I haven't, you haven't been on the podcast, and I wanted to talk to you about it. Vegas. We talk about coming back to Earth and things like that. Vegas' start to the season. They're 6-1 or 7-1 seven, seven and one now to start the season. They've used three different goalies. I don't even know Dank's first name, but Dank's has two wins in goal. And their projected number one center got sent back to the AHL today.
0: Uh, Yeah, George McPhee needs to be fired just for how they've handled that whole situation because that has been a friggin' mess. You're keeping... Nine defensemen on your team, three of whom have no business being on an NHL roster, period. Like, why are you keeping Brad Hunt and Griffin Reinhardt around for? You really think someone is going to step up and trade for one of these guys? They're garbage. They are both below average hockey players that all 30 other NHL teams have at least one of in their minor league system. What well, do you con- think you're going to get for that?
1: And the, the concept that Griffin Reinhardt and Brad Hunt wouldn't clear waivers is laughable to me.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like, what are you evaluating them for? Like, you clearly—I mean, you—it's a team that has some good defensemen, but when, like, Derek England is your third best defenseman, what? No, you're no. Just it, it that the way that they've handled that whole thing just makes me irrationally mad because there's absolutely no reason for that. But
1: no, and 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 also their schedule. And I don't want—I mean, the win against Chicago the other night was good for them, but. You look at who they've beat. They've beat Arizona twice. Uh, they beat uh, they beat Boston, who's not a good team. They haven't played many good teams, and I mean, and that's in the one game the game they did win against the Stars. Mark Andre Fleury stole that game. Um, so it's 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 interesting to see when this team will fall to earth and what that will look like. I will say this. Gerard Gallant has done a great job making himself an early candidate for Coach of the Year because for him to manage all the things that his GM has forced him to handle, he's done a hell of a job. you got to give the coach full credit.
0: No, well, for sure. 100%. They, it's, it's been a fantastic story, and right now, you, it, it's just been kind of... It, it's almost been like a perfect storm start to the season for them that they're getting guys stepping up at the right time. But, I mean, you look at just... Looking at their stats page right now, James Neal hasn't been a point-per-game player in, like, seven years, and he's leading their team with eight points in eight games. Riley Smith has never been a point-per-game guy in the NHL. Uh, William Carlson is—I i feel like five points in eight games is about right for him, especially now that he's going to get more ice time. But then you look at the rest of this team, like, you know, one bad hit and David Prawn's going to miss the rest of the season. Lucas Bees is not going to keep putting up assist, five assists every eight games. Derek Anglin's not going to be putting up – not going to have a 40-point season. Colin Miller's not going to have a 40-point season. You know, it's just uh, – I think that it most people kind of hit on the head that they weren't going to be a bad team this year just because Marc-Andre Fleury, when he's healthy and when he's on, is still a great to borderline elite goalie in the NHL. The thing is, is he hasn't been on his – he wasn't on his game a ton with Pittsburgh the last couple of years, or healthy. It was it was a lot more sporadic than it had been earlier in his career. And I mean we saw it last year after um Matt Murray got hurt. He was on he basically was the one of, of the reasons they won the Stanley Cup. He got them through that Matt Murray injury in the playoffs. So if as long as he was on his game, they were gonna be a team that could make some noise. But they're I mean, they're not gonna win seven of every eight games. I mean I feel like I feel stupid for even saying that but it, it's just it, it's it's almost what did Tom Herman say a couple of weeks ago that they needed pixie dust or something like that it's it's all pixie dust for this team right now they have they're riding the emotional high that that city has given them and I, I love the fan support that they have they've gotten by the way it just it warms it warms the hell out of my heart to for every bozo out there the last 15 years that said Vegas cannot support a hockey team. Y'all can go F yourselves now, as far as I'm concerned, because, and you know, maybe that changes as it once this team falls off a cliff and starts losing games, but it's been phenomenal so far. But it's just, it's one of those things that I'm enjoying and I'm going to enjoy it while it lasts because it's fun as hell to watch. But it's just, you have Marc Andre Fleury and then you have a couple of pretty decent players. And then other than that, it's basically replacement level guys who are playing over their heads right now
1: to stick with Vegas and talking about teams playing above or below their level. Let's let's go let's let's close the podcast out by going through cuz in a month from now I want to go through in a month from now I want to go th- we'll sit down and we'll talk about the uh, the Thanksgiving modifier where there's the old cliche and it's often proves true that if you're in the playoff picture at Thanksgiving, you're usually in the playoff picture in April. So, I don't want to say playoff picture right now, but I'm going to go through, and I'm going to name, I'm going to go through the top three teams in each division, the two wild cards in each conference. And let's just say, let's just list whether it's, I don't want to use the word pretender or real contender or whatever, however you want to classify it as a, as, as real, as a, as a real, as a good, you know what, let's say, are they actually a good team? Yes or no? <laughs> okay. Fair. So we'll just go. So do you want to start with the Eastern conference, or the Western conference?
0: Ah, uh, let's go east just for the sake of closing with something relevant.
1: Okay, you start with the Metropolitan Division. Your first place team right now in the division still is the Pittsburgh Penguins. I think we both agree they're a good hockey team. They probably have a better record if they don't foolishly sign Antony Emi in the offseason.
0: Uh, yeah. What I I feel kind of like Dallas's defense needs to be a little, at, at least a little vindicated last year, because holy crap, is he been god-awful this year. I can't believe Florida claimed him.
1: I was shocked at that. I was shocked at
0: that. I just... Ugh. That... He... Ugh. I... Yeah, no. Pittsburgh, for real, for sure. If
1: if anything, I thought maybe Vegas would claim Niemi, but that's only because I've seen them botch up their goalie situation so much and somehow get away with it lately that I thought maybe they would claim Niemi just with, with Fleury's injury. But...
0: Yeah, I just that just that has been completely flabbergasting to me.
1: Second place in the Metropolitan right now, New Jersey. They've got twelve points. They're six and two. Um, I don't know if they're good, but they've been fun to watch. I think the they've got the the Husher kid's been good. The other uh, the other rookie's been good. I don't know if they're deep enough to actually be a good team as the season goes along.
0: Oh, I think that's one that they're going to kind of maybe they'll hang around for a little bit because they do have good players. I feel like. Nico, he sure could end up having a pretty decent season. I mean, Taylor Hall's obviously an elite winger in this league. Henrik is still good. Corey Schneider, when he's on, is one of the best goalies in the league. But they just don't have a lot other than that. So I feel like they're just going to eventually kind of start to fade off into the distance. I mean, I could be wrong. We've seen the last two years where you had uh, Colorado two seasons ago or three. Maybe it was three seasons ago where everyone expected them to be garbage and then they came out really hot and then everyone said, this is not going to last. They're shooting way too high. They're getting unreal, otherworldly goaltending. That's just not going to last and it ended up lasting. So, I mean, you never know, but I would earmark that as a team that's probably going to end up on the outside of the playoffs looking in at some point.
1: What about the Islanders?
0: I like the Islanders. I don't, I'm not in love with their goaltending. I think that they have, I mean, obviously any team with John Tavares on it has a chance to be really good. Um I liked the the trade that they made in the offseason to get Everly. I think that was a good move. I I like Matt Barzal as a player. I I was kinda of pissed when Dallas took Gurianoff over him a couple years ago because I felt like Barzal was a top ten pick in that draft who fell to fifteen or sixteen, whatever for some reason. So I think he's good. I think they have some decent defense I mean, not their defense isn't fantastic, but it they also have good players as well. So I mean I could see them being a wild card team.
1: I think, I think they're still in the mix. Um, Atlantic Division, Tampa Bay, who I think is maybe the best team in the NHL right now.
0: Yeah, I could see Tampa winning the President's Trophy this year. Now that um, I've liked Andre Vasilevsky since even when Ben Bishop was a Vesna finalist for them. And now that it's unquestionably his team, I think the confidence that they showed in him has kind of paid off. As long as Steven Stamkos is healthy, I think that Tampa is dangerous as hell. And now, I mean, the added benefit of not having Steven Stamkos from much of two of the last three or four seasons or whatever it's been is Nikita Kucherov is one of the five best players in the NHL, unquestionably. Mm-hmm. Might even be the best player in the NHL. Well, Okay, now that's a lie. He might be the best non-Crosby-slash-McDavid player in the NHL. He's good as hell. And if you have a healthy Stephen Stamkos... And a healthy Nikita Kucherov, and you're looking at Victor Hedman's arguably one of the three best defensemen in the NHL. You've you've really good depth scoring with Andre Palat, Tyler Johnson. You still have Ryan Callahan, who can be a decent player every now and then. I have a very difficult time seeing anyone right now who right who can kind of challenge Tampa in the East. Maybe Pittsburgh, but that's it's kind of those two teams for me right now in the East, possibly even the entire league.
1: Yeah, Tampa's extremely good, I think. I love the, I mean, that power play. I mean, when you've got both what Kucherev's doing and with what Stamko's on the same power play, that's ridiculous.
0: <laughs> yeah, no kidding. That's borderline illegal.
1: Yeah. Next team in the Atlantic Division, Toronto, Who his uh, Toronto's a good team this year. I mean, they're 7-2. and two. Um, I think they'll actually be in it. Till the end, I think they'll be a good team at the end of the season. I might be wrong, but I think Toronto is good. I think the kids now have took their lumps, and I, th- I think it's paid off for that team.
0: Yeah, I think I think going back a couple of years when you looked at the whole the uh, hard rebuild that they did, that this was the year that they were targeting as kind of their coming out party, and they kind of accelerated the timeline with that last year. I don't really know that anyone expected Austin Matthews to be a forty goal guy right out of the gate. So that kind of accelerated the timeline on them a little bit. I think their defense is still a little suspect. They have some good guys on that blue line, but it's also really young. And it kind of is soft on the right side. And I'm still not 100% sold on Frederick Anderson as an elite goaltender. Offensively, they're going to be fun to watch all year. And I think that offense can carry them to second place in that division. But I just... I don't know if they quite have enough defensively to be a legit cup contender.
1: No, and, and I, I agree with that. I, I look at them as they're good enough to outscore their problems in the regular season, and they should be a playoff team. and They will definitely be in the playoff mix in April. Now, I'm not going as far enough to say that. I, I don't think they have the, the back end to be a deep, deep playoff team, but they're a playoff contender come April for sure. Um, and third- you also
0: got to think that that division is garbage, too. That is yeah. not a good division at all.
1: because well, we're about to bring up the third, the third place team in this division right now is Ottawa, and Ottawa is Ottawa is not playing. Ottawa doesn't play exciting hockey. I mean, anyway, it's very, it's very boring hockey where basically they play with a blank canvas for sixty minutes and hope Eric Carlson does something to create at some point, point. and that's what they're doing. But that might be good enough to make the playoffs in this division.
0: Yeah, it very well could be. I mean, they're basically a sub five hundred team right now. That is where they are because four of their five losses have come in overtime. So, I mean, their point percentage right now is remarkable, but it's half half their games they've only gotten one point.
1: They've gone to the shootout four times too. Yeah, yeah, and
0: that's (laughs) you just it's it's one of your it's the exact thing that everyone kind of bashed them for last off season is you're gonna sit there and you're gonna. Annoy the hell out of the other team because you're not going to play tempo. You're going to slow the game down, and then you're going to let Eric Carlson make three or four remarkable plays a game and hope two of them go in.
1: Get this. This is just fine. Doing a quick math. Doing my quick math. Looking at it. There's only only two teams in the NHL have had more than one shootout this year. <laughs> Ottawa's had four.
0: <laughs> that's that's obscene.
1: Yeah. Uh, the two wild card teams, and we'll go through them quickly. Columbus and Philadelphia. Um are they still in this conversation in April?
0: Uh Columbus probably just because I think that they're not I don't think they're as good as they showed last year, but I also think that they're better than I mean they're probably somewhere they're somewhere between where they are right now and where they were last year. I don't know that they're that much better right now. I but I think they have a high enough ceiling to at least Get into the the one thing that does worry me about Columbus is that they play in the same division as freaking Pittsburgh and the Metro was tough last year. That's basically what I'm getting at. So I that's the one thing that worries me about Columbus. But I at the end of the day, because I, I I think that there's going to be five playoff teams in the East out of the Metro, I
1: and
0: I, I I and I don't know what five teams would get in from the Metro above Columbus is basically what I'm going to get at with that.
1: Yeah, I I think I think they're in. I think they get. There's also I think there's a very real chance that they are one of the teams that could land Duchesne and they could be even better at some point. So, um, they're definitely in, in My in my mind, um, I don't know about Philadelphia. I'm not really sold either way on Philadelphia.
0: No, I don't like their goaltending at all, and I just and the, the same thing with Columbus and the Metro. I like, that's I think. I think they're going to end up getting jumped by at least Washington. And it would not surprise me if the Rangers and Carolina both came. I got the Rangers have been awful this year. They're so bad. They've been And so bad. I, I just, I, that, that perplexes me. But it, if, if Lundquist goes on a run, I mean, you never know what can happen with the Rangers, but I, I could legitimately see three teams in, within their own division, jumping Philly. So I don't to want to see them making it.
1: I don't want to rip on them while they're down, but, um, I still scratch my head at the fact that the Rangers bought Lindy Ruffin to run their defense and be their defensive coach.
0: Um, uh, yeah, I don't know in what universe that anyone within that organization thought that was a good idea. If Elaine Vigneault thought that was a good idea, if I'm, am I don't even know who their GM is anymore it's not say there is, still, is no
1: it? he's gone he's no. not in there anymore
0: that's what i thought i don't remember who their gm is but if, if for whatever reason elaine Vigneault comes in and says yeah i'm going to hire lindy ruff to run the defense and i'm the gm i'm saying absolutely the hell not you are not have you did you not watch any how many times did we played dallas last year how did that go for them
1: to be fair maybe they were too too uh spending too much time thinking about the eke lundquist collision behind the net but.
0: Uh, that's true maybe or maybe they're just was, like oh well maybe if we give lindy ruff a a good goalie then maybe it'll be better no it's just no, no. Uh, To
1: to the western conference we go um we'll start with the central um right now the team leading the division is st louis um i've been impressed that they've been able to start as well as they did with the injuries um i still part of me still thinks the injuries will maybe catch up to them but i also think the central is going to have five playoff teams so i still think they're in this discussion in april
0: yeah, if Jaden Schwartz can continue to play out of his mind while they're waiting for everyone to get back, then I think they'll be pretty close to where they're at right now. Um, but Jaden Schwartz is also performing at like 1.4 point per game pace right now, which I don't... That's, that's like top three player in the NHL numbers, and he's not a top three player in the NHL. No disrespect to him. He's having a great year, and I think he's a really underrated player. But uh, I... Yeah, St. Louis is still going to be a playoff team. I don't know if they're going to be first in the Central, but I mean, I could see them being a top-three team in the Central.
1: Chicago. What do you think of Chicago?
0: Um, I see. I still just – I don't – I do see it, but I don't see it, and I think it wouldn't surprise me if, as Nashville kind of figures themselves out, as Minnesota kind of figures themselves out, Dallas kind of figures themselves out. I feel like Chicago is kind of one of those teams that, I, see, i'm intrigued by chicago because i mean obviously they still have good players but they most of their really good players are kind of on the tail end of at least their prime if not the tail end of their careers as a whole so i'm interested to see how they age this season like if the grind of the season kind of wears on them a little harder than it has in past years um, i mean we talked about it in the season preview it would not surprise me to see chicago finish second or even win this division it also would not surprise me to see them finish sixth so um mike just i'll I'll give him the benefit of the doubt and say i still see them in the playoffs
1: i think he's i think they're still in it because and this is something that ties into the rest of the division i see a very uh what happened to the Stars last year thing happened to Minnesota. All of the injuries, all of the, I mean, now Parisi's That's true. At, And so I just see now with, if, 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 I'm, if I, in my mind, am looking at Minnesota being that team that is going to miss because of injuries and is going to fall off because of injuries, Chicago has to be in the mix. And so that's why I still have them in there. Um, I, I agree, though. It is interesting to see how they're going to age because um, – I know he's been playing well to start the season, but Patrick Sharp is. I don't know if, if Patrick Sharp looks like that in game forty, who, or or even game thirty. Who knows? Um, so, but I still think they'll be in.
0: Um, Minnesota's also played three last games than Chicago right now, too. So maybe there's something into that. But now, because who's who's all out for him right now? There's the three big guys. It's uh, Niederreiter, Preese, and who's there's the third Granlin or Quavu? Uh, someone completely else I could just be making grand limbs hurt too that's right grand limbs hurt too
1: yeah
0: and that that thing that we talked about Parisi, that the, I keep referring back to the season preview podcast because I feel like I'm making a lot of the same points but that the, I, they say eight to ten weeks for that that's something that could even be career threatening not in the sense that it's a surgery that is impossible to come back from but just they literally sucked his disc out of his spinal canal because it's not supposed to be in your spinal canal. And that shit does not grow back. Like that's not, that's not like if you, you know, you break a bone and you're having stuff laid down to replace that, that once it's gone, it's gone. And you remember a couple years ago when Peyton Manning had his spinal fusion surgery in his neck, that's basically the next step. in that is once that disc wears down, the next step is to completely rip the whole thing out and fuse your vertebrae together. So he that could be,
1: do you realize it, how many more years Zach Parise has left on a contract with a no movement clause?
0: Yeah, it's a lot. That it's was a, eight, don't, eight years. Yeah.
1: He still has eight years left on his contract.
0: Yeah, and it, honestly, I would not. I mean, I feel very confident in saying that Zach Parise is never again going to reach even like eighty percent of the player he was when he signed that contract. It would not be. It would not surprise me if Zach Parise plays less than one hundred games on that the, in the next eight years of that contract. Would not surprise me whatsoever.
1: I'm going to take us on a quick side. Let's just... If you were to buy out Zach Parisi, just in theory, <laughs> the Minnesota Wild could... I mean, theory, all, buy all you away. have
0: to do in theory if you're Minnesota is gutted out for another four years and then after the next lockout, you're going to get compliance buyouts and bada-bing, bada-boom, Zach Parisi's off your books.
1: That's true. That's true. Or you just got to find out a way to make him allergic to his equipment.
0: <laughs> that, was a,
1: that was a—that a—that was was low. I believe that Marian Host is actually sick, but it's just interesting that an organ it it worked out for an organization that has found every other loophole in the past moving on to uh moving on to
0: to, uh (laughs) let's let's not get down that rabbit hole
1: yeah uh colorado they're third in the division right now i just don't see how they're they're a better team in the past than they have been in the past and they beat dallas the other night i just don't see them in the playoff picture come april
0: no i think Now that Jared Bednard's been there for a year and isn't kind of getting thrown to the Wolves a couple of weeks before the start of training camp and has at least some cohesion to his roster, I maybe it was overblown to say that they, to kind of pencil them in as the worst team in the league, but they still have the whole Matt Duchesne thing lingering over them. And to his credit, he's playing through it and for all intents and purposes being professional about it. As professional as you can be about it. And and I mean, they do have good players on their team some good players on their team. But I yeah, I just I'm not willing to buy that. I don't like their their defense at all.
1: LA first in the Pacific right now, 7-1-1, 15 points. Um, I think they're for real because I also don't think that division's that good.
0: No, they're I I could see them as maybe second or third and probably more realistically a wild card team, but I mean, I just kind of pulled up their numbers because I have not paid as close of attention to the league as a whole as I have in the past because my fantasy hockey pool died and I really don't have a reason to pay attention to the league at large anymore other than pure curiosity. But Dustin Brown has 11 points in nine games and I don't know how that is going to continue to play out because Dustin Brown is not a very good hockey player anymore. So I, I don't know if it's John Stevens revitalizing the former captain or what but I they have a couple guys I feel like playing over their heads right now and I feel like it's almost a given that Jonathan Quick gets hurt well I mean I feel like Jonathan Quick alternates years he'll get hurt and then he'll come and be Superman for a year so maybe Jonathan Quick carries them to another Stanley Cup this year I don't know it would not surprise me
1: maybe uh Vegas we talked about before I don't think either of us believe they'll actually be in the playoff conversation by April they're going to fall flat at some point um And you know what, someone, I'm sure someone will tell me I'm wrong if they're still in it, but... uh...
0: I could see them making it close towards the end of the season. Like, I could see them making noise to the point that they don't sell the farm at the trade deadline, which might make George Mayfield a little angry because I feel like that was their plan, but I don't think that Vegas is going to stick around.
1: I don't think so either. Um, Vancouver. They are third in the Pacific right now.
0: That's another one that I kind of am a little iffy on too. Just if, if only because I feel like there's better teams behind them that are eventually going to get their act together.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. I don't. It's the whole and that whole think... divi- that whole division is kind of a crapshoot right now because no one's been extremely. The team that the two teams at the top of the division are kind of. You don't expect them to be as good as nearly as good as they are in even two weeks from now.
0: But right, you're looking at a team that missed the playoffs last year and a team that didn't exist last year that are outpacing everyone by that, that they've lapped the field already almost. Um, but I, I feel like we're both operating under the assumption that the Pacific's only going to end up sending three teams to mm-hmm. the playoffs this year, which, if we're assuming the Kings get back in, means that you got Anaheim, San Jose, Edmonton, and probably Calgary who are contenders, I feel like. So, I, you know, it's I, I don't see how Vancouver hangs around long enough to stay in there.
1: Final two teams and the perfect way to round this out. Um, two wildcard teams, and I think I know which way we're both going to go on this, Nashville and Dallas.
0: Yes and yes.
1: They're both in, I think, of the five teams in the Central, I think, if anything... Um, Colorado is the team that is on the way out and Winnipeg. I think, I think Winnipeg, st- Winnipeg's only played seven games. So there's still lots of time for Winnipeg to climb back in there and be in the conversation, but Nashville and Dallas, I both in the conversation and, uh, the stars, obviously we talked about it much earlier on the podcast. It just depends on the secondary scoring. I mean, just can they get it? Because the goaltending, and the defense are, our world's better and, I think kind of the point of the day that you should be that I'm going to give you credit for, which I hadn't even thought about, which I thought about, but I hadn't thought about it publicly was just how vindicated maybe the defense should be thinking about seeing what anti-Niemi does, did, did, has done with that Pittsburgh defense. Maybe that puts a little bit more of a, uh, uh, I guess softens the blow a little bit for what happened last season.
0: Right. And I think With Dallas the overarching point, as I've kind of beat the drum for today, is the their process hasn't been bad. It's they've been they've been hard on pucks, they've been good with possession. It's just a matter of finishing and kind of getting those results and sticking to that process. It's I you know, just we were all excited coming into the offseason based on the guys that they brought in and the system that they brought in. And it's important to remember that that sometimes takes a little bit longer than nine, ten games to get that clicking the way it should. So I think that's one takeaway to have. And eventually, Jim Nill's hopefully going to do something so we're, we can cut out this musical chair's garbage with defense and pick six guys, and stick to it. And that should bring a little more continuity to the back end, too. So have faith. I know. Jeez, I I said that a lot to start last year too, and look how that turned out. Maybe you guys shouldn't listen to me anymore.
1: Talk. We can talk about it more in the future, but uh, I'm sure it'll be figured out sooner than later. Um, I wonder if uh, I I just wonder if we see something with Jamie Alexiak coming at some at some point as far as a move somewhere else. But we will see what happens. Um, We'll be back to chat next week, and uh, Ryan. Good job, on your, good job. You, uh, you earned your spot back. Good job.
0: Thanks. I had I had a lot to talk about. I had a, a lot of pent up thoughts. Clearly, there you go, everyone. Uh, thank you for listening.